Well, good morning, everyone. Walking in the light, First John and the path to living deeply in Christ. This is part 21, 21 weeks in First John. And this morning we're continuing with knowing God and knowing you are loved by God. We started this last Sunday morning, and I wanted to finish that part of it uh, in this morning's teaching time. Oh, and by the way, don't forget, next Sunday, 10 o'clock, here in the sanctuary. And so make sure you register online. We're kind of excited about that. Hopefully the numbers will grow as more and more uh, allowances are made. But we're glad to be back next Sunday morning. Knowing God and knowing you are loved by God. First John 4, 13 to 21. First John 4, 13 to 21. Get a Bible. Let's study this together. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And I hope you notice the similarity between the last part of 16 and what he said in 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And then the middle of 16, whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. So the love he's talking about isn't just sentiment. It's recognizing the love of Christ redeeming us. That's the love he's talking about abiding in and letting it generate a love in our hearts. 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so we are in this world. 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. He loved us in Christ. He redeemed us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, well, he's a liar. That's not me. That's... John, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother and sister. I said last week that there were three phrases in this text that that seem to be so strong and give it such strength. 13, we know that we abide in him and he in us, we know. 16, we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. 17, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. So, so those aren't expressions of just wishful thinking or hope. They, they have such a ring of certainty in them. They're words you can lean on. They, they will hold you up. I said last week there were three life-sustaining principles in this text. 
And in short, the issues can be boiled down to, uh, first, knowing God. Second, knowing you are loved by God. And third, knowing you have been redeemed by God. And in, in the long view, there's just nothing more important than those three truths for any thinking person. And then we took the whole of last week's teaching kind of centering on the key idea that only divine grace reaches deep enough into the desires and motives of the heart to produce a love for holiness rather than just law and keeping a list of rules. So the gateway to life, it's the reception of divine grace coming into my heart the way electricity comes into a light bulb. But there's more. What are the effects of divine grace once it's received? What does it do? What does it look like? If, as I said, grace comes the way electricity comes, it brings a, it brings its own transforming power into our lives. What's the fruit of that grace? What does it look like? And that's something that John really presses into very practically in the text we just read. So if point number one was last week, the transforming power of grace, we'll start with point number two now. We are rooted in God's love by extending his grace to others. We are rooted in God's love by extending his grace to others. Look at John 4, the last part of verse 16 through 21. John says, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God in him. This is interesting. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as, because as he is, so also are we in this world. So right now is what he's talking about. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, Wow, he's, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So our first point here how we have to love others if grace has been working in our hearts. It, it kind of raises a nagging question. What about people who don't seem to be awakened by grace? Why do some people fail to find the transforming power of divine grace in their lives? If, if power is in grace and grace is from God, why don't all people experience exactly the same kind of transformation? Why would anybody remain unchanged? That's John's subject in these 
really vital verses. I mean, grace, grace can overcome immorality. Grace can overcome pride. Uh, grace can remake the broken. It can soothe worry and fear. It seems to overcome just about anything and everything that's plugging up our lives spiritually. But there is something, according to our text, that can keep God's love from being perfected. That's the word in verse 17. Something that can keep God's love from being perfected in his people. See 17a, by this is love perfected with us. And, and the context of those words makes plain what this path is of being perfected in God's love. Look at 19 to 21. We, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. So he's a liar when he says this, I love God. Maybe he thinks he loves God, but he doesn't. John says, that's what this means. He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his, his brother. So in short, I must, I must extend God's love if I'm to abide in God's love. I must extend God's love if his love is going to be perfected, verse 17, in my heart. I chose that word must. I must extend his love because that's the word John uses. It's in that 21st verse. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. It, it, it's almost like, it's almost like John wants to make clear that this kind of love for brother or sister, maybe especially if they've wronged me or done something that irritates me, that, that extending this kind of love, that word must, you must do this, it kind of implies that it's not automatic. This, this isn't something God does for me. He will work with me. But, but my choice is involved. My will is involved. I must do this. I must extend God's love on the same basis that I received and receive his love. It's why I took so much time on the first point in this message, underscoring how we receive God's grace in Jesus Christ. Remember the thread that runs through this whole passage. John wants his readers to know God. He wants them to know they are loved by God. We love him because he first loved us. The freeness of grace. God sent his son to be the savior of the world. That's how God loves but, but there seems to be a way, if John's warnings mean anything at all, there seems to be a way that I can poke a hole in the bottom of my own boat. Hatred towards a brother or a sister, it, it seems to have the capacity to kill the power of divine grace in my heart. It snuffs out what could be a transforming walk with the Lord. The thing is, of course, most of us don't think we hate anybody. But there's another uh, 
internal attitude, kind of a something that grows in our hearts that can read like hatred, can be a root for hatred, a source of hatred. And it's a sin probably with which we are all pretty familiar and the scriptures warn against more than they warn against lust or greed or fornication and it's anger. There's nothing else that is so uh, repeatedly said to grieve the spirit and to actually give place to the devil more quickly or with greater certainty than unchecked anger. Anger's the root of hatred. And the scriptures, let me just give you a smattering of scriptures real quick. Proverbs twenty two twenty four. Make no friendship with a man given. So this isn't just once in a while angry, given to anger. So this is a, a this is a person who has a situation, maybe a relationship, somebody did something, somebody said something, and it's festering. He's given himself. He's walking down the road of anger. Nor go with a wrathful man. Here's Jesus, Matthew 5, 22. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be liable to judgment. 2 Corinthians 12, 20. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish and that you may find me not as you wish. You might have to be really firm with them, Paul's saying. That perhaps there may be quarreling Jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Look at this one. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. That's what anger does right there. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Colossians 3.8. But now you must put them all away. Look at first on the list, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. 1 Timothy 2.8. I desire then that in every place men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. That's just a sampling, just a sampling of the warnings of Scripture against anger, especially against a brother or a sister. And just in passing, isn't it interesting to notice, especially that last 1 Timothy 2.8 reference where he wants people lifting holy hands together in worship and prayer and praise, and that this kind of expressive worship, while it's thoroughly commanded in the Scripture and is in no way optional, but still, it's only acceptable... (laughs) when it's offered from lives free from the bondage of anger. So important, so important. Such is the polluting power of anger over even the most wonderful corporate experiences in the body of Christ. Well, Pastor Don, how do I over... Man... How do I overcome anger? How can I rise above these sinful reactions? I mean, they're just, they're just my emotions. What, especially when I'm wronged by someone, really wronged by someone. At least to the third point I want to deal with. Obey 
John's two principles for staying clean and open to the Holy Spirit. So it's going to be A and B, 3A, principle one. Take each situation poisoning your soul with anger and place it in the context of the cross. I get this in that 14th verse and then the 19th verse. Look at the kind of things he emphasizes. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. 19. We, we love because he first loved us. So in each angering situation, especially when I think it's someone else's fault and I have every right to feel what I'm feeling, in each situation like that, I, I need to... There's a way in which you have to kind of stop and collect your thoughts. I have to, I have to bring my mind into order and, and refuse to just act by instinct. I have to pause. There's, there's times when all of us, we take the things we know from God's word and, and you have to, you have to catch yourself. It's not easily done and make yourself rethink Biblical truth in slow motion. You just slow everything down and say, wait a second. You pause. You don't go by impulse. I must think of the cross of Jesus. I must think about how I was loved. I must think about when I was loved. I must put it all in the context of the cross. Thinking in slow motion means saying something like, if God treated me the way I'm treating my brother, if God treated me for my sins, the way I'm treating him for his sins, where would I be? How long could I last? See, that's what I'm talking about. A, take each situation, poisoning your soul with anger, slowly, in slow motion, bring it to the cross. Hey, B, I must hold before my mind the future day of judgment. John talks about it. My, my, my tendency, especially when I've rage, anger, bitterness, revenge, when I have those things bubbling up to the surface, my tendency is to live exclusively in this moment. Now. I want vengeance now. I want scores settled now. I want to express my, my feelings now. Vengeance always tastes sweetest right in the present. And so, and so we, we deliberately choose to live in that moment. We choose, we choose not to see each part of our lives related to the whole when we stand before our Lord. Look what John says. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Now, notice what he does. He's talking about the day of judgment here. That's one. And now he's talking about this present world right here. So also are we 
in this world. So John takes how we are right now, what I'm feeling right now, the anger I'm expressing right now, and he says, put that in the context of the day of judgment. You have to think longer term. I must think of the day of judgment when my brother or sister's face comes on the screen of my mind. My vengeance is not worth sacrificing that. Keeping my life free from anger and hatred will go a long way to keeping me looking forward to the day when I see Jesus face to face. One of the things I remember my dad saying to me, he's been gone now since 2008. And I remember when I was pastoring long ago in a tiny little church and some things were going on and I just had this, I was just a kid out of Bible school and I had this anger on toward the situation. And I can remember my dad driving out from Saskatoon and said to me, Don, never let another person ruin your life by making you hate them. I don't know that I ever heard better advice. Never let another person ruin your life by making you hate them. Keep your heart sound. Keep your heart certain. Confident is the word John uses. Keep, keep every moment in step with the Holy Spirit and the transforming power of grace in your heart. Don't let your anger toward a brother or sister stifle that new creation that God wants to keep unfolding. Learn to rely all over again on the love God has for us and let it flow through you to the person you dislike the most. And what you'll find is the joy of the Lord starts to be your strength again. Let's pray. Your word is good, it's true, it's life-giving, and it keeps us safe. Bless this truth to our hearts. Thank you for the power of grace, the big principle. Grace gives us power to live holy lives with new desires and affections. And at the same time, keep grace flowing through our lives toward others, toward everyone, so that your grace doesn't go sour in our hearts and become ineffective. We bless you. Thank you for your word. Thanks for this time to study it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So don't forget, next Sunday here at the church, make sure you have to register. Watch for details on the website. You'll see all of it there. And tonight, uh, 6.30, I want to talk to you tonight about how you can expand your present appetite for God's Word. It doesn't have to stay where it is. You can do more than just read it. You can actually train your heart to desire it more. That's what we're going to look at tonight at 6.30. Join us. Keep the Sunday night thing happening. God bless you, church. Love one another.